Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. If you've ever been to New York City or Philadelphia, downtown Chicago, basically any of the traditional big cities in America, you're immediately faced with traffic in all its forms. There's cars, trucks, limos for the rich people, you know, bicycles and pedestrians, lots and lots of pedestrians. Drivers in those cities, in those areas, they're, they're accustomed to stopping at intersections and then proceeding slowly and carefully after waiting for walkers to cross, sometimes illegally, well, okay, I shouldn't say that, oftentimes illegally through the intersection. Most of Texas is an entirely different experience. The automobile reigns supreme here. Most of us are used to speeding down suburban parkways, never expecting to see someone actually crossing the road on foot. But that doesn't mean we don't have pedestrians. We do. And driving without expecting them can lead to disastrous, tragic, fatal consequences, as happened to Lisa Tory Smith on October 19th of 2017. In the November 2022 edition of the Texas Bar Journal, Brian Middleton writes about Lisa's tale and the impact it had on Texas law with the passage on June 18, 2021 of the Lisa Tory Smith Act. Brian Middleton serves as a district attorney for Fort Bend County, Texas. He's running unopposed for re-election in 2022. Brian is here now to talk to us more about Lisa, her namesake legislation, and what it means for those of us who traverse Texas's roadways, either in a vehicle or on foot. Brian Middleton, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Thank you, Rocky. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Absolutely. So let, let's let's start with Lisa Tory Smith. I guess she'd be the hero of our of our story. Who was she, and what exactly happened to her? Oh, she was an absolutely wonderful person. Just doing what any good mother would do on October nineteenth, and walking her child to school, and doing so in a safe manner when she was run over by a driver as she walked through the crosswalk. Was this a school zone crosswalk? It was near the school. She was about a block away from the elementary school. So it was in, it was just before the uh, school zone began, mm -hmm. but it was an area near a school and where it's common to see children walking. So she, you know, she should have been aware. And at that particular time, uh, she should have noticed other people doing the same thing. So Lisa passed away from that from the interaction when she was hit with the vehicle. Right. What about her son? Son suffered some severe injuries, but he did survive, but she, she died at the scene. Her, her injuries were that catastrophic that uh, she did not survive before she made it to the hospital. And this was in 2017. What was your role in all this? Were you, were you in the district attorney's office at that time? No, I was actually a defense attorney at the time. And uh, I remember that day when it happened, watching it on the news, and I, I, my heart was broken because it occurred within five miles from my house. And I mm -hmm. thought how tragic for a mother to die walking her child to school. You know, uh, I have three kids, and, and it immediately had an impact on me emotionally. So now, did you work with, with Lisa's family? Were you involved in the case at all? I decided to run for district attorney in uh, mm -hmm. 2018. And as I was campaigning, they reached out to me. They told me 
uh, the story about Lisa Tori Smith and the problems that they were having with the case being presented to a grand jury. And I told them at that time, hey, if I'm elected, I will take a good hard look at that case and see what can be done about it. So, you know, spoiler alert, you were elected, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> you, you won that election. So once you came in, once you came into office, you know, walk us through what happened with the grand jury, that whole process, and, you know, the driver. You know, tell us a little bit about what, what transpired thereafter. Okay, so uh, once I was elected, I, I did, kept my promise, start looking into the case, and, and it was worse than I thought. There was uh, no readily explainable reasons why she did not see Lisa and her child in the crosswalk. Uh, she being just, the driver of the vehicle. Right. There was a female okay. driver. You know, that, I mean, she was in plain sight. It was a well-lighted area. Uh, they were walking in a crosswalk, and there's just it just defied explanation how she could not see them and run over them. You know, and was just she looking at a phone or something. Is that what was happening? Do we know? Well, she never testified, so we don't know exactly what she was doing. Right. But uh, you know, and that was part of the problem. Of the case is is proving that she was distracted. But you know, it, it was she was making a turn into the intersection. There were no obstructions. So, I mean, there, there was no way to explain not seeing them in, in the crosswalk. So it, it presented some challenges in terms of proof. Uh, mm -hmm. We, you know, we did everything. We looked at cell phone records. There was a video. We looked at everything trying to decide whether or not to, to present the case to the grand jury. Early on, I, I recognized that the, the prosecutors that I had working on the case did not have the experience for these type of cases, vehicular mm -hmm. crimes. So I, I reached out and I hired a, an expert on vehicular crimes to come in and provide a consult on the case. That person was Allison Bainbridge. She uh, had been a career prosecutor uh, in Harris County and had recently left Harris County District Attorney's Office and was working for a personal injury firm. So I hired her to review the case. She tried to, in her words, salvage the case uh, because there were some problems with the investigation. The case was uh, presented under her direction to a grand jury, and the grand jury did not true bill the case, did not indict the case. And so then began the, you know, the discussion with the family that we were not successful, but it was so tragic. And if you see the images and, and you know mm -hmm. the story of Lisa Tory Smith, you will understand why at that point I became committed to trying to change the law to make a difference so this would never happen again. One thing I want to talk about is from your perspective as a prosecutor, having to walk Lisa's family through the bad news. Before we do that, let's take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, Brian, walk us through that experience. I'm sure it was uneasy. So let's give you a few moments to kind of collect your thoughts, and we will be right back. The Texas Lawyers Assistance Program provides confidential help for Texas lawyers, law students, and judges who have problems with substance use and mental health issues. TLAP offers 24-7 confidential support and can connect you to peers and providers for assistance. TLAP can also connect you to the Sheeran Crowley Lawyer Wellness Trust, which provides financial help to Texas lawyers, law students, and judges who need treatment for substance use, depression, and other mental health issues, but can't afford to pay for services. Call or text TLAP anytime 
at 1-800-343-8527. Okay, and we're back. Before the break, Brian was talking to us about the experience of trying to get Lisa Tori Smith's, I guess, technically there were no build, so you can't really say murderer per se, but you can say the person who, who struck her with the vehicle, trying to get that trying to get that driver to be indicted under Texas law. And the grand jury came back and no build. So there was no indictment. Walk us through that experience of breaking the news to her family. That had to have been tough. Oh, it was, it was extremely tough. I had uh, high hopes for the case being indicted. And I, I recognized that I, I, I probably should have done more research before reaching that conclusion. I had a lot of experience with personal injury and criminal defense, and I thought, man, this is a slam dunk case. Hmm. But the grand jurors struggled with it. In reviewing the case, I, I could understand because the standard is criminal negligence. Mm-hmm. You know, as a lawyer reading it, you scratch your head. It's like, well, what does this mean? What does this look like? Right. What so, is unreasonable? What is what is negligent? Right. right. It's it's a law school question. Right. And so, and then reviewing the case law, at best, it was a difficult case. Mm-hmm. And having to explain that to the family is, and when I say family, her her parents, her sister, her husband, stepfather, all present in my conference room and having to explain them, you know, we did the best that we could. We presented it to a grand jury and provided all the information and the law, and they declined to indict the case. And seeing their expressions and, and the palpable pain that they felt because she was just simply doing what any person would do walking their child to school and for no discernible reason or excuse just get run over and the person just is not held accountable just you know it's just hard to accept it was hard for them to accept it was hard for me to accept was there maybe some level of satisfaction for the family and knowing that you at least tried to get an indictment or did that not, did that not mean as much to them? Well, they expressed their gratitude. The pain was still very evident. I think they were grateful that I at least presented the case to a grand jury, which they had not been able to get previously, but there was still pain. I shared that pain with them because I had become so heavily involved in the case that I was hurt. I thought, you know, how many times does this happen? And it was the third time in a matter of months that I had sat down with the family and saying, hey, the other couple of cases in, involved uh, auto-to-auto uh, collisions, but to sit down and tell them because of the standard, mm-hmm. you know, we're unable to prosecute, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought something has to be done about it. So I promised them that I would not stop with the no bill and that I would work hard to try to raise awareness uh, and also try to change legislation so this would never happen again and that people who do things like this are held accountable. So let's, let's maybe walk through. Now, now we're going to focus, I guess, on the legal side of this. So if you would explain to us what the, I guess the flaw in the law was that led to the to the no bill because you know you, you mentioned that the the grand jury struggled so it sounds like sounds like they tried to do their jobs and they that they made a good faith effort at trying to apply the law as as it was explained to them 
because at no point have I heard you say that the grand jury made the wrong decision. It it looked like there was a problem with the law and getting it to to kind of attach to this particular this particular situation and result in an indictment. So, what was the gap in the law that kind of allowed for this no bill to happen, in your opinion? Well, what I discerned from it is that there was no clear roadmap for a grand jury to decide. You know, the definition mm-hmm. of criminal negligence is so ambiguous that, you know, even lawyers struggle with, you know, trying to define and and create a Mm -hmm. set of facts that fit it. And so with this broad standard, I think they struggle with it. And so I think they needed some guidance as to what the law considers criminal. You know, there is civil negligence, which Mm -hmm. is a a lower standard, and there's criminal negligence. And and, in making that line, that distinction between the two, it is difficult. And so I believed that if the grand juror had a clear set of rules, a clear set of standards for them to follow, then they could then evaluate the facts and determine, is this what the legislature had in mind when they mm-hmm. said criminal negligent homicide? It's, it's interesting because this whole time I thought the problem was going to be dis- discerning for, for the grand jury would be discerning what constitutes negligence in the criminal context. It sounds like what you're saying is that they knew what negligence was. They couldn't agree with the prosecution's presentation that this was criminal negligence as opposed to merely civil negligence. So was that the problem, the civil versus the criminal? Right, you know, in trying to to reach that higher standard. And and some of it is fact specific because Mm -hmm. in this situation, because of the way the investigation was done, there was a a, a lack of evidence, right? Okay. You just had a set of facts that raised a lot of questions that could not be answered because of the way the manner in which the investigation was done. And so there was a need to connect dots that the grand jury was not able to do with a better investigation, possibly different results. But I understood in in reviewing and preparing for the grand jury presentation that this was uh, a difficult explanation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now let's, let's talk for a second about the Lisa Tory Smith act, because I want to make sure we talk about that. And then we can come back and talk a bit more about, about what the law says, but the act itself, let's maybe take a step ahead and then we'll kind of work backwards to fill in the gap. Tell us what this piece of legislation does and you know, what the changes from the previous law? You know, under the previous law, all we, you know, had was the uh, involuntary manslaughter, which, you know, requires mm-hmm. the criminal negligent, or should I just say criminally negligent homicide is the exact title under the penal code. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the common law, we would be called involuntary manslaughter. But sure, uh, they just had that simple, very broad definition, right? Mm-hmm. The other part of the... The Lisa Torres Smith Act had two parts, basically. One that made it an offense to cause injury or serious bodily injury to a pedestrian or uh, other protected individuals who are in a crosswalk who are injured as a result of the criminal negligence of a driver. And Mm -hmm. so this provided a, a guidance and a roadmap for potential grand jurors to follow. Hey, look, this is what the legislature is is defining as a criminal offense. When people do this in a specific area, in a crosswalk, where there is now a heightened standard. 
The second part of the Lisa Tory Smith Act was the provision where before it was simply just yield to pedestrians. Mm-hmm. Now the law was changed to stop and yield to pedestrians. You may have noticed around the state, at least I have, there are more signs going up saying state law mm-hmm. stop if there's a person, a pedestrian in the crosswalk. So now the duty and responsibility under our traffic laws is that if there's a person in the crosswalk, your duty and responsibility is to stop. So what we see a lot of times is people not stopping, slowing down, driving around pedestrians. So now the effort is to raise awareness that there's a new duty, and that's to stop when you see a pedestrian in the crosswalk. Do you think this is going to, you know, for for a lot of drivers, I I can see people maybe not being aware and one driver who does stop for a pedestrian then getting rear-ended by a second driver <laughs> who didn't anticipate that you know so is is that something that the that this act has tried to account for or is there a way to kind of protect the good drivers from getting rear-ended by the bad drivers who aren't paying attention yeah rocky good drivers are always uh keeping a proper lookout uh sure. and you know the act has a, a affirmative defense in it. If the pedestrian is not lawfully in that crosswalk area, then the statute doesn't apply. So in terms of protecting less blameworthy drivers, I think that provision is there because what you're looking for is is criminally negligent behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. Failing to see someone in a crosswalk may or may not arise to criminal negligence. But you know, as the law has been with criminal negligence and continues to be, there's got to be some substantial and unjustifiable risk that the person did not observe. I would say if you're you're speeding into a crosswalk area and you you hit a pedestrian that's clearly in a well-lighted area who had, you know, the light to to cross in that area, I think that may be criminal negligence under the new standards. Because what the Case law said in the past is that, you know, simply failing to obey a traffic law may or may not be criminal negligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, There have to be more specific facts, like in Montgomery versus State, where a driver was found to have committed criminal negligence by making a abrupt left turn to jump on the freeway and cause someone's death. In that case, there were a lot of facts that were specific that showed a substantial and justifiable risk. That still continues. But I think what the Lisa Tory Smith Act does for a grand jury, it defines what the focus is. We're worried about pedestrians in crosswalk areas. We're trying to raise the standard for drivers that when you approach a crosswalk, you need to slow down and pay attention. And so I think the law achieves that. The public awareness campaign that the Texas Department of Transportation is doing is trying to raise awareness about it. If you don't injure someone and the police see you fail to stop, you know, that's a traffic infraction now. Mm -hmm. So I think by changing the culture and, and getting people to understand that crosswalks are dangerous areas and that if you're not careful, you may go to jail. And so I think in that process that we can cut down on the number of pedestrian deaths that we're seeing, not just in Texas, but across the nation, by making and raising the standard for drivers to be aware when they are approaching crosswalk areas. I've seen a lot of unprotected crosswalks, you know, ones where there's not 
a traffic signal. There's no walk, don't walk sign. You just kind of proceed out and use your own discretion to kind of cross the road and make sure you're not jumping into oncoming traffic. But there are plenty of situations where there is a walk, don't walk sign. Does the act talk at all about jaywalking? You know, somebody walks against a don't walk sign and then they get, they get hit by a car. At that point, who's at fault or does that take, is that an affirmative defense? I mean, is, is there something that, is there something in the act that kind of accounts for that scenario? The act includes an affirmative defense. If the pedestrian or cyclist or whatever it may be, the protected mm-hmm. person in the crosswalk is violating a traffic law, then they're not protected under the statute. So pedestrians have to be obeying the law too. Someone that's jaywalking is not going to be protected under the Lisa Tory Smith Act. Got it. Because that's happened to me a lot of times if I'm riding my bike. I tend to ride on on, on sidewalks because cars don't always see you. They're not paying attention. Right. And then I stop at a crosswalk. The the sign says walk and I'm going across and a car is just about, you know, because they get a green light and they're trying to turn into me. That's happened so many times. And I'm wondering... I'm wondering, you know, what happens if I go on a don't walk sign? At that point, it says I'm not protected. So I have to I have to continue to obey laws. This doesn't protect all pedestrians. It's those who are obeying the traffic laws, as I understand it. That is correct. I mean, uh, I'm a cyclist too. I also jog. And I've had a lot of near uh, collisions uh, with aggressive drivers. But the responsibility and duty still remains for cyclists and pedestrians to obey all traffic laws. Does any of this, trying to go back to the legal standard, if I understood it correctly, the problem with, with, with Lisa Tory Smith's driver, the one that hit her, was that the grand jury was unable to figure out what, what constituted criminal negligence because there was no standard as to a driver's responsibility with respect to crosswalks. Now the act says, yes, you have a responsibility with respect to crosswalks. Does the act define what does and does not constitute negligence? So for example, you know, if a driver is, is going through an intersection, you've got a pedestrian who is, cro- let's say they're turning right into an intersection and you've got a pedestrian who is crossing legally and, there's, and, and the driver hits the pedestrian. And what's the line between, oh, this was an accident and this was negligence versus this is criminal negligence that might warrant some type of some type of punishment or sanction. Do you, as a prosecutor, now have a better roadmap in terms of in terms of what constitutes just driver error and what constitutes a prosecutable offense? Okay, one thing I wanted to clarify: grand jury Please. proceedings are are confidential and secret. So, in, in no way, shape, or form, or am I disclosing anything that was said by sure. the grand jury? Uh, I'm just talking about the results. So under the Lisa's Tory Smith Act, we now have a framework for discussion. As we present these cases to grand jurors, we can say this is what the legislature intended. They intended that there be a higher standard in crosswalk areas. They will still, just like the, the, the grand jury and the petty jury, still will have to make a determination whether there was a substantial and and unjustifiable risk that was not appreciated or or recognized by the driver. So we're not talking about ordinary negligence, still not talking about ordinary negligence. We're talking about specific facts that make it so egregious that this person should be held criminally responsible. So the facts that would create liability 
before and now are the same, mm -hmm. but it now the act provides some guidance and, and, and it also creates a duty for drivers and provides a clear framework for grand jurors and prosecutors to articulate, this is what is expected by a state of Texas, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're supposed to stop and yield to pedestrians in a crosswalk, which means you should have a heightened awareness as you go through these intersections. Now, if you're proceeding through an intersection, you don't stop, you don't yield, and under the circumstances, that was an unjustifiable risk, then you may be held criminally sure. responsible. So it, it's the tightening of the framework and, 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 and creating a clear focus on what the state of Texas is requiring of drivers that has changed. But at, at the end of the day, there's still, there's still some error, or not, not error, there's some room for the jury to now decide, was this criminal error or was this simply civil negligence. So it still leaves it, it still leaves that discretion, I suppose, in the hands of the jury and the prosecutor. Exactly, Rocky. I, let me be clear is that we're not trying to criminalize what would be ordinary negligence. We have a whole civil mm -hmm. process for simple civil negligence. What we're trying to do is create accountability for people who transcend that and their conduct is so egregious that they ought to be held criminally responsible. You know, if, you, if you're speeding through a residential area, blowing through an intersection at 90 miles an hour, I would say <laughs> right. that you're likely to be held criminally responsible. But, sure. but someone who is not having 100% attentiveness at the time may not be criminal responsible for that, criminally responsible for that. Uh, so it's always going to be fact-specific. But what we're trying to do is, is raise awareness and raise have a heightened uh, awareness as you approach intersections. We're trying to save lives, basically. That's what we're sure. trying to do. Absolutely. Well, now, if you look back to Lisa Tori Smith's situation, and as you read the act today, do you think it would yield a different result, you know, in, in, in that prosecution, if, if that law was on the books at that time? I can say confidently, we would have had a stronger argument to that grand jury about why hmm. the person should be held criminally responsible. You know, and, and if I could go back and change everything that was wrong, it would have been a more thorough investigation. But sure. I think the investigation is something that can be corrected by, you know, better performance, but the law also needed to change. You know, we needed to raise awareness and raise standards in order to change our cultures. Vehicles are extremely dangerous. Yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can be very convenient. They get us from point A to point B. But if they're used recklessly or with criminal negligence, they can kill people, no differently than a firearm. So my hope is that people, when they get behind the wheel, they understand is that they are driving and commanding control of something that is just as deadly as a firearm. So if we can convince people of the seriousness of driving, and raise their awareness as they enter intersections and crosswalk areas that we can stop this epidemic in America of pedestrian uh, homicide, uh, homicides, should I say. Final question, two-part question. So first, did they, do you know if, did they go and sue the driver civilly? And do you know whatever became of that case? And then secondly, maybe more importantly, how, how is her family doing today, specifically her son? I mean, I think he was six years old when 
that tragic accident occurred. I'm assuming he's about 11 now. How is he doing? How's her family doing? So let's, I guess, talk about the civil side of the case, if you know, and then maybe talk a bit about how the family is today. I don't recall what, if any, action was taken on on the civil side. Sure. Uh, you know, when I got involved, the case was, you know, already pretty old. So I don't know. And there's a two-year statute of limitations on the uh, personal injury. So I don't know. I can't speak confidently as to how they handled that part of it. Sure. As for the family, they focused all their en- energy in trying to prevent another tragedy like Lisa Tory Smith. Uh, mm-hmm. She has a wonderful sister, Gina Tory, who is a, a part of the uh, Nobel Prize uh, organization. Uh, so she's very well connected and she's using all of her contacts and her resources to try wow. to raise okay. awareness. And uh, she means business. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Trust me, uh, people, including myself, who get phone calls from her, tend to move pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and that's how they've dealt with their pain. As for Logan, her son, uh, he's thriving, but he doesn't have his mother here to share his life with us. And, right. and, and it was so very preventable. And that's what his, the pain that I have to carry is that this person should have been held accountable because there was no plausible explanation for why she shouldn't have seen this family in that crosswalk. There's nothing they could have done differently, I don't think. She just ran over them. And it's just a tragedy that someone could kill another person under those circumstances and not have any criminal responsibility. Well, it's, it sounds like you and, you and your office did the best you could with the situation, so. Yeah, you, you, know. you, 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 I mean, our job is to seek justice, not convictions. We present the cases to the grand jury and, and we live with the results that we achieve. But in this case, I felt like there needed to be legislative change, also need to, to work on awareness so people understand how dangerous vehicles are. So I'm, I'm interested in changing culture and changing minds and also holding people responsible. But I think we can save lives if people just understand when you approach a crosswalk or an intersection, slow down. Somebody you love, somebody's child, somebody's mother may be in that intersection and their life may be dependent upon your actions. So I hope that the Lisa Tory Smith causes a change in our culture and that we have safer intersections in Texas. Well, Brian, I think that's, that's, that's a great message with which to conclude our conversation for today, because unfortunately we are out of time, but I want to thank you for, for taking the time with us and for all your work and helping to spearhead the passage of the Lisa Tory Smith Act and, and most importantly for educating us about it. So thank you again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in, and I want to encourage you to stay safe and be well. You can catch Brian's article on the Lisa Tory Smith Act in the November 2022 edition of the Texas Bar Journal. You don't want to miss it. I'd definitely give it a read. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, 
Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.